This is Crosscut Reports. I'm Maliha Sayed. Today, we're looking at how one man's death set an important precedent for how Washington's workplace safety agency can handle fatalities. LNI stated this was the first employer to face felony charges involving an employee's death. In 2016, Harold Felton was replacing a sewer line in a trench when it collapsed, killing him. Local police declared his death an accident and handed the case to officers at the Department of Labor and Industries, the state's workplace safety agency. Felton's employer, Philip Numrich, eventually served jail time for the workplace death, a more severe punishment than what employers in Washington are typically given. In this episode, we speak with investigative reporter Liz Giordano about the aftermath of Felton's death, including how his loved ones continue to grapple with the loss and how they say the system fell short in getting him justice. There's a lot in this story, and there's a lot of big systems in this story, but I'm really interested in starting with Harold. Before we even talk about what happened with him, could you share just a little bit about who he was according to what his family told you and what you heard about him? What do we know about this person? Harold was a new dad. His his daughter was just four months old when he died. His family describes him as somebody who would always come to your aid whenever you needed help. He was an avid reader. He he liked exploring the meaning of life. But he was like goofy and silly and just happy to be alive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was always an optimist. Oh, yeah, totally. Good-natured. And he was very highly intelligent. He went to work for his friend's small sewer repair business looking for, you know, a higher paycheck. But what happened in 2016, in January of 2016... He was on the job in West Seattle replacing a broken sewer line. Um, He was working in a narrow, deep trench that ended a little bit above his six-foot-two frame. He and a co-worker had dug it out a couple days before. Um, And so he was replacing sewer lines that that are coming from the street into someone's house. And so he's in the bottom of the trench. Um, I don't know what exactly he was doing at that time, but they were about ready to break for lunch and one side collapsed, and his co-worker wasn't around right when it happened, um, but noticed him quickly after and called out his name and then jumped into the trench and tried to dig Harold out. And what had happened was, from my understanding, is it was raining for a few days leading up to that, and was the soil loose, and it, it kind of collapsed in on him? Yeah, exactly. So the the trench had been actually dug a couple days before, maybe even a week before. Broken equipment had dragged the job into a second week. Um, you know, this was January. You know, rains come with Seattle winters in January. Um, so the sides were, like, loose and unstable. And, you know, when you have an empty space, the soil sides want to press in. And so, you know, the edges were more able to counteract the weight that wanted to push in on the empty space. And also what was missing from the trench was the safety requirements for shoring, which is a protective system to kind of prevent soil from caving in. And so, he, yeah, he was killed likely pretty quickly, you know, buried alive. And when he dies, the local police come and look at it, and it sounds like they declared this an accident. Yeah, that's what they wrote in their police report. And so then the scene gets handed over to the state's labor and industries agency, which is, you know, tasked with overseeing the safety of most workers in Washington. You know, I think federal and tribal workers are exempt. How do they proceed with this death? Yeah, so they investigate. I think there were three investigators on scene pretty quickly. You know, they looked at what was 
the equipment that was there. They examine the type of soil. They measure and photograph the trench. They talk to the worker. They talk to the owner. And they go back and they continue the investigation and they compare, you know, what was there to what was necessary because trenches are complicated. You know, you need certain shoring for how deep it is, the type of soil. Um, so, yeah, so they do their investigation and then they issue the owner of um, Alki Construction, Phil Numrich, $50,000 worth of fines and several citations. And when that happens, you know, when we have a situation where a worker dies on the job, what typically happens from LNI's end? Like, how would they respond to that in an average case? Yeah, exactly what happened here. You know, they investigated, they issued some fines and penalties, and then there's an appeal process that the company or employer can go through, which is what Phil Numerich did. He appealed this fine. You know, is there new information that might change the citation? And and so L&I can also reduce fines if a company doesn't have a history of safety violations or if they go over and beyond what's necessary for safety requirements. And there's a little bit of leeway for L&I to kind of adjust fines, um, which is what happened here. Because according to the OSHA database, Alki Construction didn't have any past citations. Um, you know, this is a small business. Um, LNI is usually never on site on, you know, especially small businesses. The agency doesn't have the capacity to be everywhere um, at all workplaces. Hmm. In many ways, like the beginning stages, it sounds like things were pretty standard, but then set an important precedent for Washington when it comes to dealing with employers who are accused of maybe not creating the safest working conditions for their employees. What was the precedent that was set in this case? Yeah, so there's a there's a state law that allows LNI to work with a local prosecutor if a death occurred that accompanied a willful violation, which is what happened in this case. The LNI investigation found the company, quote, knowingly ignored basic common sense safety rules. According to charging documents, the trench was in the least stable type of soil and the shoring system to prevent a cave in was wholly inadequate. Only once before had it been used, and it was a corporation and not an individual that was charged through this law. Um, But this time, prosecutors brought manslaughter charges, so slightly higher charges than what this law allowed for. The family credits a a push from a, a retired safety consultant to kind of get this ball rolling, to bring the charges to the prosecutor and bring attention to the prosecutor because the prosecutor isn't always aware of, you know, workplace fatalities. Labor and industries officials confirm that even misdemeanor charges are rare and this is the first felony charge. Which is which was a first, for, again, a first for the state because nobody, no employer had been criminally charged before, no individual over a workplace death. And and that safety consultant, why did he get involved in this particular case? You know, he's he's the kind of guy that seems like he was just really passionate about his job when he was there. He really cared about workplace safety. And he also had a thing for, you know, people dying in trenches because they're so preventable. You know, many people described it to me that if you just follow the rules, nobody gets hurt. Trenching is something that's really very obvious. It's easy to to take precautions. If you have the proper shoring, no, you know, nobody dies. I think it was just kind of also a right time, right place. He saw the LNI issue a press release about the fines going out. And, you know, with his experience with LNI, he knew those fines were going to get reduced. Um, and so he just really wanted to see a tougher punishment for something that was so easily preventable. 
This case ended up going to the Supreme Court over this. You know, did prosecutors have to charge under this, you know, state law about safety violations or could it actually charge manslaughter? The Supreme Court decision was they could charge manslaughter. The case kind of took a different direction because, you know, Harold's co-worker added to his testimony later that ended up the prosecutor dropping charges because they felt their case wasn't as strong. And so it went back to misdemeanor charges. But the Supreme Court decision paved the way for a prosecutor to bring criminal charges for a workplace fatality and not just a misdemeanor charge under this, this law. And this feels timely in your story. You mentioned that 2022 was the deadliest one of the deadliest years or the deadliest year for trench collapses in the country. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration says nationwide in just the first six months of this year, 22 workers died during trenching and excavation work. Compare that to 15 in all of 2021. I think the deadliest year in recent years for trench collapse, something that people contributed to the fact that, you know, there's a lot of aging infrastructure underneath the ground. Trenches are dug for a lot of different reasons, you know, sewer, and electrical. And then also, again, with all this aging infrastructure, there's the, there's money coming down to replace this um, from the federal dollars. Right. And so there's this possibility that we'll see more workers in trenches potentially subjected to similar conditions. And when you were writing the story, you know, you talk about the criminal charges and you also reference that Numrich was sentenced to jail time. Did he actually serve jail time? He did. Was it 45 days? Yeah, he served 40, 45 days in the end. And he also faced some restrictions. So he, it sounds like he couldn't oversee crews in particular circumstances. Yeah. And so the safety standard in Washington is trenches deeper than four feet need this shoring to prevent the cave-in. And so part of his sentencing prevented him from overseeing crews, digging trenches four feet or deeper. Part of this story is kind of how historic and how significant the precedent was. But then there's also this element of um, there may be ways that the system fell short in protecting or responding to the death of Harold. You know, in your conversations with his family and advocates, what did they have to say about it? So the case did set precedent, but it also took a usual path also with, you know, a, a fine and then a reduction um, and then something that the family and safety advocates pointed to is that he actually had more violations two years later for much of the same thing. And the idea that he could keep operating, even though he was re-violating, was really frustrating to a lot of people. What do you think about uh, Phil still meeting in business? You know, he has a new company. It's horrible. I don't know how. I, I think Illinois sucks. They're not doing what they're supposed to. Harold's family really summed it up that I failed them the entire way. You know, they didn't ensure Harold had a safe working place. You know, they issued fines that were reduced to numbers that didn't really make a difference and didn't, didn't deter him from reviolating, didn't put him out of business or, you know, encourage him to do something else. And somebody died. Where's the goddamn enforcement? His death still has such a profound impact on them. It's horrible losing a child. They were really interested in talking with me, I think, for the idea of, you know, changing the way things work and holding employers more criminally accountable. But they were, yeah, they were just really disappointed in, you know, the fines being dropped, 
The second set of fines were dropped by like 96%. According to Secretary of State, he closed Alki Construction and opened a new business. So they're just really disappointed that he can still be operating and still be overseeing, you know, workers in trenches. And he's interesting in this story because there's obviously the dynamic of employee working under an employer. Employee dies. Now employer is facing allegations of creating this unsafe work environment and not being mindful of the conditions. But then there's this really personal element. They knew each other for years. How did they meet? What was sort of their connection over the years? Yeah, they had known each other for almost two decades. They they both grew up in West Seattle. They met as teenagers. They spent a lot of time biking around the city, is what Harold's mom and sister told me. Numerch was actually Harold's best man at his wedding. Numerch knew Harold's widow. Yeah, they had a lot of history. And it sounded like there was a really bad accident that Harold had experienced. I think it was a biking accident years prior. Yeah, when he was 18, he was hit by a, a truck and it left him with a traumatic brain injury. And his mom and his sister had, had thought they lost them then. They basically prepared us to let him go. And, and was Numrich there with Harold during that particular accident? I thought I read that he was at the bedside or... Oh, no, he, he, was, uh, he was there when he was hit by the truck and oh waited gosh. with him as the ambulance came, you know. And Harold's family did testify in court what were they hoping to see for Numrich? They were there throughout the court case. Um, they were there at the sentencing. They were hoping that the judge would sentence to the max. Again, that that law that allows I to pursue criminal charges when there's a willful violation. And the max that law allows for is six months in jail. And the family was really hoping for that. It feels almost revolutionary, sort of the way that his death was handled. But then it doesn't sound like that precedent has been used since. Yes, yeah, so I believe there's one case, I think it was Lewis County, that Elle and I referred charges to a local prosecutor over actually another trench death. But a judge there dismissed those charges. Um, I'm not sure the details on that. You know, one reason might be because Elle and I investigators aren't trained to conduct a criminal investigation. But again, nobody has been criminally punished like Numerich has been. Um, and last year, there was actually three trench fatalities, which is quite a large number for Washington. This is the third deadly trench collapse this year alone. And back in July 4th, two men were killed when a 20-foot trench collapsed on top of them. In one case, I think the owner and an employee died. The King County Medical Examiner's Office just released the name of the two victims. One of them is listed as the president and owner of the construction company that was working on the trench when it collapsed. In another case, it was a worker. Ellen and I wouldn't comment if they are thinking about bringing charges or if charges were in the process. Um, but I think that's something to watch to see because criminal charges is something Ellen and I wants to start bringing more. They told me because they think it's a way to, to deter workplace fatalities is you know hold somebody criminally responsible. But it hasn't ha- it hasn't panned out that way yet. When we're thinking about all of these critiques of the system. What do advocates want when it comes to L&I and safety, workplace safety enforcement? What do they want to see change? Um, I think it really comes down to filing more criminal charges. You know, even the head of L&I, Craig Blackwood, told me this, too. That's something they want to do is be able to pursue criminal charges more often. They think that with that tougher penalty and holding somebody criminally accountable and not just issuing a fine 
would make it a tougher penalty. I think that's important. Um, Advocates said different things about the idea of needing to be in every workplace. You know, was that financially feasible to do so, to be everywhere? Um, Was this just a matter of education? One advocate suggested that maybe anytime a business needs to dig a trench, they should have to have a permit. And then cities and counties would know where trenches are being dug. LNI conducted an emphasis on trenching and instructed compliance officers to stop anytime they saw a trench and investigate and see, you know, was there proper shoring? Like 60% of the time, I think, there, there, there was an issue with the shoring that wasn't following safety standards. I mean, that seems like a lot to me. Yeah. The idea like 60% of the time on these, you know, these inspections that are, they seem more proactive because they're they're random and they're not driven by a complaint. That seems like a lot of times that employers aren't following the rules 60% of the time. In terms of Harold's family, was there anything in particular that they want to see changed at the systemic level? Yeah, one thing they'd like to see is prosecutors on site or, or investigators for the prosecutor's office on site at a workplace fatality. Again, so I think they can determine criminal charges or they have someone there that's trained to do criminal investigations. Um, I think they also want employers like Numerich who have these repeat violations to to maybe not be in business anymore, not allowed to be, not allowed to run a business like this anymore. Um, I think that's one thing they wanted. And again, they also wanted a tougher penalty for Numrich. But going forward, I think the idea of training LNI officers to do criminal investigations, having prosecutor or having investigators for the prosecutor's office on site at workplace fatalities, I think that's something that they really would like to see change. And did they leave kind of any parting thoughts when he spoke with his mom and his sister or any family members? You know, how do they feel after all of this seven years later? I think they're glad that this case set precedent, but they feel Elle and I failed them and failed Harold through the whole process. Thanks for listening to Crosscut Reports. This episode was reported by Liz Giordano. It was produced by Sarah Bernard and me, Maliha Sayed. The story editor was Ryan Famuliner. Our executive producer is Sarah Menzies. You can subscribe to Crosscut Reports wherever you listen. And whatever platform you're listening on, please review us. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Also, if you would like to support the work we do at Crosscut, whether it's our lineup of podcasts, the video docu-series we stream every week, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com slash membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. That's also where you'll find a text version of the story we discussed today. Crosscut Reports is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Maliha Sayed. We'll be back soon with another episode.